Bienvenidos a la Midwest Flyways Podcast. I am your host, Joey Basayo, and this is actually very familiar to our guest today because his wife is of Latin descent. Yeah, Panamanian. Panamanian. His name is Nick Johnson. Say hello to everybody. Hey, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Bienvenidos. Bien, 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 bien. Bienvenidos. <laughs> I know what that means. It means welcome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> All right. Spanish one up here in the house. No, Nick, you've been gone in Canada. You've been on the podcast several times. Many times. And probably eleven times. No, it's probably like three. Yeah, probably. Excuse me. Um and dude, I've I've missed you. I haven't seen you at all this season. You've been up in Canada. And last season, yeah. Last se- I worked at Prairie Limits Outfitters in uh, Saskatchewan for fall twenty two, spring twenty three, and spring or fall twenty three. And you just mashed them up. Yeah, it was a great, great, great experience working up there. I'm not going back. You're not? No. Nope. Why is that? Because I just had a baby eight days ago, and we're going to start. Well, I have also been guiding in Wisconsin. I live in I live in New Richmond, Wisconsin, guide around there, and um, we're going to do that full time from now on. I've been doing pigeons in the summer and then doing, uh, obviously, September, October in uh <coughs> Saskatchewan, and then coming back doing November, December in uh, Wisconsin, and from now on I'll be doing September, October. Well, I guess July, August, September, October, November, December in Wisconsin. Damn. Yeah. So you just want to be closer to home to your family? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Raquel did not like you being gone for what two months. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough for me. It goes extremely fast. Like right. when you're up there in Canada working. You're never not doing a task. Like, you, you work, basically you work from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed. And even when you go to bed, like, you plug your phone in, you set your alarm, and you go, all right, I have to sleep now. Like, even sleeping is a task. Like, I, like all right, I have five hours to sleep. Let's get started. Right. Like, sleeping is a task. You have to prioritize it. Yes, you can't scroll. You can't, you look at social media, nothing. Like, my task right now is to sleep. And, uh, so for me, like the time, it's just like a getting into a time machine, like two months in the fall, one month and five weeks in the spring, whatever. It just, boom, it goes by. But for the family back home, they don't have that similar experience. Right. Yeah. It's tough. Guiding is I couldn't imagine doing that now that I have a kid. Zero percent chance. I don't know why so many, well, I think that's why so many waterfowl guides are divorced. It's true. I've been divorced too. I'm not. Trying to do that again. True. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely important to prioritize the family. Right. Well, you have to, man. Especially if you love them, like, you should. And if you're going out of country like that, it's like, you're Right. And it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just that in 2022, 2023. Like, um, it was, so fall, uh, September, October 22, I was gone in, uh, in Saskatchewan and then I went to Oklahoma and I was there for a week and then I was in Kansas for like five more weeks after that and then I came I was basically home for like five week stints after Canada before Oklahoma then after Kansas for like four or five more weeks and then back to Saskatchewan for five more weeks and then coming back home and then I had like four or five weeks to chill before we started guiding pigeon hunts. You know what's funny is, obviously, we've been friends for a long time. It was like seven, eight years now. Mm-hmm. 
Might even be longer than that. I wonder if I wonder how you 20, reached out 2016, to me. Oh, I reached out to you on Facebook. I wonder um, if we have that message. 2016 is when I had my long hair. That's the year that I cut it, and I cut it shortly after our snow goose trip together in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. We shot all those Rossies, mm-hmm. and they had the purple chest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we met earlier that year, so probably like late 2015. Mm-hmm. So about eight years. Yeah. But what's funny is, obviously, we've been friends for a long time, and people will ask me all the time, like, you're buddies with Nick J, right? I'm like, yeah. They're like, does he really shoot pigeons all the time? I'm like, yeah, dude. I love pigeons. Yes, honey. he does. Yeah. He got me into it. He really? got me stoked about it. Oh, yeah. I feel like you were pretty hardcore on pigeons when well, we like, met. But, like, you, it's so wild, dude. You and Joe, it was like both of you together because the first time I ever met Joe was after you and I were guiding for him at the acre or at um, uh, my greater valley. My greater valley. Yeah. And we shot all the snows and blues. Yeah, and, and that was my first time ever being told just grass your blinds with grass. Sure, and I'm like, you do this all year long. You're like, yeah, dude, fuck stubbling corn and beans and right, I'm like, no shit, right. And then shortly, I think it was probably before that, I was like, I've got a pigeon spot. And then you're like, oh, we got to put out spinners. We got to put out a couple full bodies, some silhouettes. I'm just like, you decoy these things. You're like, yeah, it's the funnest thing ever. <laughs> I'm like, no way, dude. But I had always busting them out of silos and whatever. You know, I actually don't have any pigeon decoys anymore. Yeah, you had the soar no more. I had soar no mores, and or what are the, what are the ones with the K? Wing kings. Yeah, wing kings. I never had any wing kings, but like nowadays, I swear to God, you did. Maybe I, that was rusted. It was probably rusted. Nowadays, yeah. I just run frozen dead pigeons. <laughs> just keep them in your freezer and throw them yeah, on the ground. Yeah, like I'll keep <laughs> I'll keep a ten pack. Of, you think uh, that does better than full bodies and silhouettes? Dude, you know what? I actually think all right. So here's two things that I know decoy pigeons. Dead pigeons and spinners. Yeah, duck spinners. Yes. And so uh, do I know for a fact that plastic decoys decoy pigeons? I do not. Now, that's debatable, and I might be wrong. But the only way to test that theory is like to get yourself permission on like a 40-acre wheat field and go out there and just run like three dozen or four dozen plastic full-body Wing King, Soar No More's, whatever, or your silhouettes with no spinners and see if the birds really sucker into them. Like, like, are they going to land with your plastic decoys with no spinners and with no feathers? So, mm-hmm. uh, um, we, I call it the dead spread, like a, a dead spread. Like I actually think about uh, a trip that we took in North Dakota. I feel like it was. Yeah. At the, at the feedlot. No, it wasn't the feedlot. It was before the feedlot. Like we had found a spot the one where you shot the man, no. the green and white one. Yeah, I remember that. But the, it was before the feedlot. We had hunted a different spot, and we had killed like two or three coming out of the barn. And then we set up like chairs, right, like yeah. on the edge of the field, and we put those two or three dead ones like out in front of us with no spin. I don't know. Did we have spinners? I don't think we did. No, no we didn't because we were hunting. But snows. I remember a couple of times, like we got surprised that birds were just like boom, right, like right in the dead like the two or three dead ones we killed and it seems like to me like uh that pigeons will just bomb into feathers and spinners hmm. so and and that hunt in particular with you is one where i was like holy f- light bulb like a light bulb moment exactly right where i was like dude we got like literally like we're we're sitting in lawn chairs with like three 
dead pigeons out here. And like, we were just yucking Dude, it we up. We were literally in lawn chairs. Yeah, just chit-chatting, yucking it up. And all of a sudden, like, oh, 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 oh. and they're just like back flapping over our two or three dead pigeons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I sold all of my full body pigeon decoys and I just run dead spreads and spinners. And um, we could go into pigeon hunting a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a. I like one, one, two, or zero spinners is is my thing. I've done the whole flock of flicker. I've done the. Um, you showed me the lucky duck ones where it's just like a, it's like this tall, and it's got the yeah, little the f- wings. They're called off lucky of duck flashers. <clears throat> Those things are legit. They are. It's actually all I use for field hunting, even mallards. No shit. No, I I remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were goose hunting that, we were duck hunting that grass field out in western Minnesota, and yeah. you had them in your blind, and we actually... Yeah, stuck, stick them through the head hole. Yeah, we actually killed a couple. Because back in those days, they didn't have remotes. Right. No, they do. Yep. And one thing about, like, when you're doing combination hunts for ducks and geese is, um, I like to run my spinners really low. Yep. And we, I did this all the time in Canada. In Canada, we didn't have flashers. We had, you know, regular Lucky Duck HDIs or whatever they yeah. are. And, um, dude, when I shut those things off, I just wish they were invisible. You know, like I, like it, it, you, you click them off and the wings, sometimes they stick up with the white. I know they got the new one. That's they all, work really well. Yeah. I'm sure they do. Yeah. That where the black wings are always down. They also flock the, yeah, um, yeah that's a great idea too. Mm-hmm. Cause I used to always take all, and I still to this day will paint the one side of my spinner wings black and the other side white, just maximum flash. Yeah. And, um, uh, so I just wish when I shut those things off, I wish they would just bury themselves. Like, right. like just don't be in my spread when well, I'm yeah, trying to work geese. Well, when you have geese coming and you have a, a lucky duck 10 feet in the air on a pole, it's like, uh, it doesn't I, look realistic. Like, I kind of wish that wasn't there. Yeah. And that's what I like about the lucky duck flashers is there's, they're brown. They're really small. And when you shut them off, they pretty much are. And as long as the wings stop. Even, if even they, then, I don't even then, it. even then, if the white's showing up, at least it's not the, this weird looking decoy that's sitting out there. Does it matter? Not most of the time. It matters to me. Right. Like, I just kind of wish they were invisible and the lucky duck flashers kind of are. And touching on that, what I've noticed over the years of duck hunting, everyone has like the same height poles. Right. When they're in a field, especially. Mm-hmm. It's four feet off the ground. Yeah. And they always like almost point the duck forward or it's just straight up and down. Mm hmm. And the new Lucky Duck HXDI, or it's XHDI. I think it's XHDI. I think you're right. Um, it's like they changed the entire body of the spinner. Mm-hmm. So it's actually like leaning backwards more. Because if you watch a duck landing, it's like throwing its back out and backpedaling. Sure. You know, it's not like this and like falling forward. And so I'll just like go and just fix the spinners mm-hmm. and just like kind of angle the pole backwards so it looks like it's coming in and like it matters you know all they're really keying in on is the white spinning there yeah they're, the flash but it bothers me hey carter yep i got a question for you when you hunted with bob up at uh okamuk outfitters did you, he run that like just flasher that he's got on a pole no okay nope he showed me that at game fair he's got like literally it's just one it's like three feet long it's just like i mean a board Black on one side, white on the other, and it just is a. It's just a flasher. It's a board. It's literally like it's not two wings. It's like just one big wing on a road, like on a on a. It's just a, a spinner on. Yeah, yeah. It's just this big. It just creates a massive flash. 
He's like, what do you think of that? I'm like, I think it'd probably work. <laughs> I think it'd probably work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> no, but, but the other thing that I've noticed is everyone just has that same height pull. Mm-hmm. And I like to vary the height mm-hmm. in the in the decoys. So you'll have, you know, you have that T-post on the Lucky Duck. And then you just put the stake in. Put that in the ground. And then the next one has two extensions. And it's like further back. So it's kind of like a elevated, like a AT&T bar. Yeah. You know? Dude. I have a love-hate with hunting mallards in fields. It is so much fun when they're fresh, and it is so goddamn frustrating when they are stale. Like, especially if when you get big wads of mallards, like you get the thousand eyes on you, the hundred plus, and they'll come and they just they they lock up like they have never seen anything so good in their life, and they. Bomb. They bomb. You get like 100, 150 ducks. They're bombing in. And then they do that like 40-yard peel out. Yep. And you get like the three or the four that are like... Like just... Do you take the four? I think you... Yeah. Because that next... The, the 150 <coughs> that's going back around, guess what? Their next swing... Their first one, they peeled out at 40. Second one, 45. Third one, 50. Yep. Fourth one, 55. And there probably isn't a fifth one. Like if they're stale birds, it's just... The most maddening goddamn thing. What, what's your advice on that? Just shoot, shoot, shoot the four, shoot the four, or buck into the group at forty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my thing is, I've played around with it quite a, quite a bit, and I noticed that if you, when they're about to buck, you turn off the spinners. Every once in a while, it'll help. Kinda, yeah. But it's a horse apiece. It's it 50, is. 50, it's you'll be sitting there, birds, dude. dude. I'll be sitting there, like uh, especially up in Canada and stuff, like just. Clicking the spinners on, clicking the spinners off, starting to do a lot of calling, doing a little calling, maybe hitting my goose call right. while doing the spinners on and off. And it's just like, God damn it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> if there's anything about guiding that um, just makes my, makes my stomach turn is like when you miss a shot call or not knowing right, like when you get a lot of birds working and you're like, when do I call the shot? Because it's all dependent on you. Yeah. You know? It is. It's it like, is. Are you going to be greedy or are you going to make sure that people have a couple birds hit the ground? Right. Right. You know what doesn't make my stomach turn? Drinking Outlaw High Light Beer. <laughs> Mile High Light Beer. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love this stuff. They're actually a sponsor of the podcast. It's good. And it's like... You can drink Coors, Bush, whatever, and like, they just don't taste good anymore after drinking this. Honestly, it's pretty wild. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like Dude. seriously. So I live in Wisconsin. Everybody comes out there and has to have the spotted cow, and mm-hmm. like everybody in Wisconsin like despises it. <laughs> like, Do they really? They're like, ah, it's tr- trash beer. We drink Bush Light out here. <laughs> That's amazing. I think they just got outlaw up by you too. Did they? I'm pretty sure. It's good. but yeah guys if you should check to see if it's in your state they're all over the place other than minnesota pretty much oh they're not in minnesota Mm -mm. that's weird minnesota has a really rigorous uh alcohol sale like you have to put in for like a year before you can sell okay type of a deal and then there's like and then there's still it's like the moha you have to keep going and going and going and then they'll stop talking about malax fishing and then they might hear your story about how they should extend the duck season. Okay. Let's talk about that. Because <laughs> uh, here we go. Here we go. The Minnesota duck season has just ended. And as 
per annual, uh, you know, it's like Christmas. It comes around every single year. Uh, people start bitching about how the season has ended too early, which I do not agree with. I do not agree with that at all. 95%. All right. Here's the thing. 95%. People are like, the Ducks haven't even arrived yet. No. Right. 95% of them have arrived and are gone. What you're seeing are 5% of the remaining ducks concentrated on the remaining 5% of open water. Mm-mm. Yes. Mm-mm. Yes. You're seeing you're seeing what? 2,000 mallards here, 3,000 mallards there. Dude, our water's 90% locked up by the time the duck season closes. Like, sure, there's a few thousand mallards here and there that are hitting some cornfields. If the DNR is to maximize opportunity for all people in the state, what do most people do? Then most people put their duck boats out on a public lake and go hunt ducks. That's not an option for most people in the state anymore once our lakes are 90% frozen up. Nick, you know how much more money the state could make if they opened up a special season for the rivers? I, I would agree that a river zone would be a good idea, but there's there's some special considerations that I'm not 100% um, knowledgeable or um, well-read about. Like when you start splitting states into zones, you have to have, there's a bunch of federal regulations that come into play like with that. Like if you have this many zones, you must have, it must. Well, we just got brought from a three zone to a two zone. What? Yeah. We're now a north and a south zone. No shit. Yeah, I did. Was that twenty twenty three? Carter, I'll look that up. up. I'll look it up because we don't have the north duck season closing, and then the south season is longer. We have, or we don't have north, central, south. We have okay. north and south. Well, the central and the south zone did have the same duck seasons for several mm-hmm. years. So, and that is a requirement that is like if you if you split a zone, it has to offer something that the other zones don't. And, and and if you look around at other states, like North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin, let's just say all the states that s- surround Minnesota, they all have river zones. Mm-hmm. All of them have river zones, and we don't. We have North, South, Central, and South, which I do believe that the DNR has timed their opening day and their closing days good for that structure. So, so have a river zone. But if we were to have a river zone, I would be in favor of that. Because there are river mallards that feed in nearby river cornfields that would provide an additional opportunity for waterfowl hunting that um, gets sometimes, like, let's call it 50-50, just just to make it easy, like 50-50 that some years would be great and some years, like, meh. You know, like, especially during... If we lock up early November. Yes, especially if we lock up early, which we have had years, like, I think... It's been a while, but I think I'm thinking like 2013 or something like that. I was, was just going to say 13. Like, I think it was November 11th that we just... We were done. Like, done, done. Done. But when I say done, done, I'm not I'm not referring to river zone right. potential with, with... No, there were six inches overnight on, on water. It was like, yeah. first night was super cold. It's like, yeah. I don't know if I should launch my boat off of the ice on the launch. Right. You know? And yeah. then you're going, you're thinking about it and it's like... There were so many ducks on that lake. I'm going to chance it tomorrow. Right. And then you go out there tomorrow, there's six inches. Right. But I do think the, the vast majority of ducks, which there were millions, have passed through the state. Um, 
the vast majority of our huntable areas, water, our waterfall production areas, our, our uh, wildlife management areas are frozen, which aren't providing any benefit to any hunters in their that area. You know, it's just it, I would be I, I would be in favor of river zones. So there are still three zones, north, central, and south, but central and south have these exact same dates. Mm. So there still is three zones. Hmm. There's Minnesota's kind of interesting too. We've got Steve Quartz as our as the Minnesota waterfowl specialist guy. Yeah. Have you ever talked to him? No. He'd be a good guy to have here and talk on the podcast. He's not stupid. And uh but maybe a criticism that we could levy is Steve Quartz has been in the job, I think, since 94. I might be wrong. So 31 years. Long time. But the dude before oh, him. 29 years. The dude before him also had that job for like 35 or 40 years. Mm. Now, so he's too, he's too comfortable. So like in freaking 70 years, we've had like two guys. Well, maybe not too comfortable, but maybe there's not enough fresh ideas being cycled through, like, trying new things. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if you were the... I mean, what if you were the waterfowl specialist for Minnesota for 30 years? Like... 30 years? Oh, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, like, it would be kind of skewed towards... What does he even t- do? That's my question. Advocate for law changes? Yeah, I mean, Is there's he, a like, whole, a lobbyist of sorts? There's a whole structure with, like, the flyway systems and how laws get made from the federal level to the flyway level to the state level yeah it's kind of interesting and that's one thing i i think i've picked up on especially through podcasts and stuff like when people have like the uh biologists and the actual lawmakers on like um they're not stupid maybe they're not perfect but they're not stupid like they're just doing what they the the data suggests they do and the surveys which you should definitely fill out surveys. I do. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Um, the surveys of the their constituents really is what they are, how they want their season structured. So I've only seen a question being asked to me one time, and I can't remember for what state. I'm pretty sure it was Nebraska. Nebraska sent me a, a survey asking how my hunting was, if there's anything that I could change about my experience that was there. Okay. Like in regards to the laws, what would it be? I'm mm-hmm. like, Minnesota, you are just lacking. Well, Minnesota does surveys too. I think they did one last year. I've never gotten one. They're usually not forced upon people, or like you don't. You know what? Other surveys I've gotten in the mail is um, North Dakota. Yep. North Dakota sent me surveys, and I fill yep. them out and I I mail them back. It's important, and it's important. Like, if the Fish and Wildlife Service, all right, it's important to be honest on your HIP survey. It's important to be filling out. Um, uh, all of the surveys they sent you. If they, uh, I one time I hunted Michigan and they uh, sent me a survey about that. And uh, but I was confused. I didn't know if the survey they wanted me to make a hunting diary, and I didn't know. I, I emailed them. I was like, "Is this a diary for my hunt in Michigan, or is this a s- diary for my hunt throughout the year in all the states?" And they said, "This is just for Michigan," which I had hunted Michigan two days. I was like, "Oh, easy enough." Boop, 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 boop. Sent it back to him. But, like, as hunters, if you want different laws, then just pay attention to that sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, like, there's surveys out there that, that states do almost every year. Uh, Wisconsin. I, I've filled out the Wisconsin one twice, and both times got an email back from Taylor Finger, 
who's the he's the Steve Courts of Wisconsin. I know that name. Yeah. yeah. And he's he would uh and I would have some criticisms and some things I'd write. Like, I wish it was this way. And he would be like he would email me back and be like, here's why it's not this way. I'm like, touche. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I know one thing like uh, for Wisconsin that I, I that I put down was like I want a sandhill crane season out there, mm-hmm. and I want a higher goose limit because it's three in Wisconsin. But it's five in early season. Five in early season, three in regular season. But he comes back, and you know when when it comes to Wisconsin waterfowling, a lot of it is uh, a lot of it's based on the east side of Wisconsin, which they get that MVP population of geese and the. The um, Arctic or subarctic. Split it up into zones. Yeah, but also How hard is that. Also, they can't split things up into zones. Like you only get an opportunity to do that. Like once every five years, you can change your zones. That's when you can lobby for it. Yeah. So they what they don't want, what the feds don't want too, is they don't want states changing their laws all willy frickin' nilly like crazy, like every then it's year. Confusing, yeah. And the data is like garbage. Like, if we just have one year of data, it's like, okay. Well, yeah, you got to do three yeah. to five. Yes, Just like exactly. our teal season so like, that we just concluded. Right, and when they do experimental seasons, they usually do like three years, like you said. Like, the teal season just concluded. Now they can go back and look at the data of it and say, So like, now I wonder if we're going to get a survey on how we thought it, the teal season went. I think, maybe, yeah, I th- that, that, that would be interesting. Uh, do you remember that, that Minnesota had an August goose season for three years? The harvest season. Yes, and it actually went into September, too, where you could shoot 10 geese. It started on August 10th, I believe. We started before North Dakota for three years. Yeah, I I, I did that the last year they had it. Mm-hmm. And the first time I ever did that, I hunted it over in Chaska. Mm-hmm. My buddy had permission right. on a field. Pretty sure Chaska was not in that zone. I'm pretty sure it was. Definitely wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> what was the zone? The zone went from... Uh, let me look up where Chaska is really quick. Just to, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up and then it's we're gonna just, confirm that you're a criminal. It's east of Norwood, Allegedly. Norwood, Young America. Okay, it probably wasn't in that zone. What? <laughs> you serious? <laughs> we got checked that day too. Oh, maybe it wasn't Chaska then. Actually, it might have been because I. <sighs> fuck. What? It might have been in that zone. It might have been. It was. It, it was. It might have been, because Chaska's right on 212, and I think maybe north of 212 and then south of 94 was the zone. Mm. I can't remember. I can't remember. It might not have been Chaska. I just remember feeling weird hunting in Chaska. I, I guided a hunt on August 10th one year. That's so wild. One time, me and, me and Joe and Phil and Mike Benjamin went out. Who else was there? God, it's just four or five of us, and we killed like thirty six or thirty eight geese or something like that. It was like in August or something. It was like, Damn. this is cool. It's <laughs> a lot of birds, right? Holy crap! Chaska was in the zone. All right, what was the zone? It was. It's. I can. Was it two twelve to ninety four? North of two twelve, and then west to ninety four. I was right. Damn. What years was that? He was. Probably 2010 to 2013. No, it was probably 2015 to 2018. No, no. 2014 to 2017. No, it was well before Midwest. Dude, Jeff Houston went out there, two-man shoot. I think he was with um, Nick. His name was Nick something. That just 
let's go out. It sounds like, it feels like a migrator day. It might've been in September too, because that limit, 10 bird limit went into September, ended up being one of the most epic migrator days ever. They shot their 20 birds in like freaking 20 minutes. It started in 2013. Ah, so 13, 14, 15. You said it was like. I said the number 2013. Did he? Rewind. Yep. Sure did. I guess 2010 to 2013. 2013, huh? 10 years ago they started that. Interesting. Yeah. I just remember feeling so weird because the day before I was working in Chaska, and then I saw a bunch of geese flying over, and then I got the phone call like, hey, you want to go? I'm like, where is it? He's like, Chaska. I'm like, where in Chaska? And he told me where it was, and I'm like... (laughs) I'm four minutes from there right now. Like working <laughs> Pretty sure on a town I just saw those birds. Working on a townhome, and I drove over there, and I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of geese here. I can't believe that was 10 years ago already. That's cool. Well, when was the last time you were in Chaska? That place has boomed. Oh, like, really? There is nowhere to hunt in Chaska anymore. No. No, I mean, I'm sure there's random put-offs on the river. Sure. But other than that, that's the Minnesota, right? Minnesota River? I think so. That sounds that right. A, that place is such a cool area, but it's just there's too many too many people that go down there and hunt there. That's true. It can't it can't be good anymore. There's too much pressure. Right. Yes, the the Minnesota River Valley is right there, the biggest refuge in Minnesota by far. But like oh, for sure, Nick. You're probably right. Tens of thousands of acres dedicated towards that. Have you ever been to their um, headquarters there? I'd like the to DNR? go. The DNR? Yeah. No, the Fish and Wildlife Service. No. I want to well, go check that out. Yeah, yeah. I want to go check that out. Is it like a, a, a place to go or is it just people's offices? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. My name's Nick. I'm just a bird nerd. I'm just here. <laughs> check out the refuge system. I'm God. like the type of guy that's like, on vacation with my wife, and I'm like, hey, totally. there's a National Wildlife Refuge system totally. nearby here. We should go and do their scenic bird drive. Did that in Hawaii. It was cool. Okay, when were you in Hawaii? Last October. Okay, did you see a Nene goose? I did. Okay. I did see a Nene. I would not. Is it Nene or Nene? I think it's Nene. I think I said Shanae-nae. it wrong. Hey, Shanae-nae. Shanae-nae. yeah. Um, if I... Go to Hawaii. I plan to sometime. I've never been. Every single one of them's tarsled. Oh, of course. But I will not go to my hotel before I see a fucking Nene goose. Like I will. I would need to see a Nene goose. You have to. Uh, you have to look for them. I heard they're on the golf course right by the yeah. Uh, airport. Yeah. You think you can just walk out on the golf course? No. Now? No. <laughs> yeah. So I go to Panama. I've been to Panama three times, as we said in the beginning of the podcast. My wife's Panamanian, and my goal always when I go there is to find ducks and. Um, so I've been there three times, and I have found tens of thousands of black-bellied whistling ducks and a smidgen of fulvous whistling ducks. But um, this last time we were there, we were there last, was it 2023? I think it was 2023 in January, and I'm on eBird, and I'm looking for um, any North American duck species. And I find an eBird report where they reported like 600 blue-winged teal in this uh, golf course. That was only like 20 kilometers away from where we were at this Airbnb. So naturally. We drove over there with the whole family. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? Yes. Guys, guys, guys. It was on the way back. It was on the way back to the house, like back to my, uh, to Rock Hill's parents' house. And I'm like, we're stopping at this golf course. Like we absolutely need to. <laughs> Can you to. imagine just because, meeting no, Nick no, no. for the first time? Oh, you married our daughter while she was working in America? 
and we're gonna go look at some birds. Yeah. Well, there was the, literally the they the the report was six hundred blue wing teal at this golf course, and there was a photo attached. And I looked, and it was more like six thousand, like an entire like two acre pond black with blue wing teal. And I was like, oh my god, I need to see this. I need to see this. And we go over there, and it's like this like twenty foot high fence like covered in vines like covering the entire golf course so i'm like then like there's no way we're getting it's like one of these like really private exclusive like uh all-inclusive golf slash beach resorts club yeah on the on the coastline of country club yeah Yeah, a country club on the coast of panama and so I was like, all right, well, we got to find a way to get into this motherfucker. We, like, I, I'm not, there's barbed wire, so we're not scaling the fences. Well, and down there, I've, I've been to Nicaragua twice, mm-hmm. and every, like, wall, there's broken glass on it. Oh. Like, broken bottles so that people can't <laughs> climb over it. It's so wild, dude. There's just concertina wire, barbed wire, and broken glass on every wall. Right, yeah, so, like, that... That's their security. That was, was the situation, and so I went and... Had my really pretty wife go and talk to the security guards, nice. and they're like, "I can just see this like interaction, like yeah, but jibber 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 jabber jibber jabber jibber," and I'm like, "It's not going well." <laughs> and who knows? Maybe my wife was like not like going to bat for me so much. She's like, "Can we go look at ducks?" And the guy's like, "Nah." And she's like, "You sure?" And he's like, "Yeah." And then she comes back like, "He's not gonna let us." I was like, "God damn it!" So I've only seen, um, yeah. Tens of thousands of black-bellied whistling ducks, um, Falvis whistling ducks, and Muscovies. You cannot hunt in Panama. If you could... Is it a gun deal? I don't know. Like, they just don't want the citizens to have guns? I don't know. I've got myself... I've got pictures of myself, like, standing, like, uh, posing next to no hunting signs there as well. Hmm. Like, uh, yeah, I think it is a gun issue, but, uh, yeah, there's just... I uh, just no hunting in Panama. If you could go... Well, let, hold on one second. Guys, I want to talk to you about one of the podcast sponsors, and it is First Light. Nick, I know that you use whatever is the best for gear. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you've ever worn their rugged wool. Have you ever tried First Lights? I've used a lot of their merino wool. So the rugged wool is like a very heavy, double-layered wool, mm-hmm. and it is sick. It dumps heat, but at the same time keeps you very warm. Mm-hmm. It is incredible. It doesn't pill. It is so nice. <laughs> like, I'm. That's like the one thing that I truly geek out over on the first light line. I. It's so comfortable. I was uh, at the meat eater uh, calling um, contest. The calling contest in Montana. Yeah. I went to the um to their. Uh, it was a Sitka calling contest. But it was you a went sit- to yeah, meat yeah, eater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Friday night, meat eater had like a like a welcome party and everything like yeah. that. I got to see some of their 2024 line. Mm-hmm. Looks really nice. Something I've always said too is like. We've been testing it out this year. It is me nice. too. Yeah, actually, they've been sending me stuff to use, and I've been using it. And uh, they asked, they just wanted me to tell them what I thought of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've been using a lot of the merino wool base layers, and now I've got some outerwear. Not much though. The, uh, I've got like a, a hooded sweatshirt out of merino, and I have a vest that's like a windbreaker vest. Yep. God damn it! I wish I could remember the name of the piece. Straight right? line. I don't know. I probably have it right here, but right, yeah. One thing I've always said about Sitka gear, like Sitka gear came out swinging, like in twenty fifteen or sixteen. Earlier, yeah, earlier, dude. Pro- yeah, when it really hit my radar was like we always used to use Columbia gear. Columbia gear was the shit, and mm-hmm. 
old Columbia gear still is the it shit. Still is the shit. Even new Columbia gear still is the, it's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Sitka came out, and I'm like, okay, well, Sitka's got really good things going on, but people are going to catch up. And I've sat here for the last, like, seven years being like, when are people going to catch up? And now it seems like First Light is in that, it's in that realm, it's in that competition layer. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, thank God, because we need more competition for this gear that we all use. Dude, I, honestly, I like it so much better. The zippers and they're, they're just so innovative. So like everything that you didn't like about Sitka or all the other brands from way back in the day, they've revamped everything. I and like it's, my it's first really light. nice. I like my first light. I like my Sitka. I've been using it in combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Well, that's why I was like, Nick will have so much to say about this. Yeah, I don't have. I, there's so, the merino stuff has caused a couple breakouts on my neck, and I don't know if that's weather related or the wool related. I've found I've got some my neck is really, skin. My neck is super sensitive, Same. and so. It doesn't matter what the material, if it's rubbing against my yeah. neck, it will cause an issue. Yeah, and same with the Sitka, too, Like, because uh, one combination I like to wear for Let's Talk Sitka is like, I'll do a core lightweight hoodie, then a traverse zip tee over the top of that, then a Dakota hoodie over the top, of, or Dakota vest over the top of that, and then a Dakota hoodie. So I'm talking zipper on zipper on zipper on zipper on zipper right. going Sucks. up my neck. That kind of will fuck with me, too. Right. Anyways. Anyway. So if you could go to, like, I don't know how much you've hunted out of the country. I know you've gone to Mexico. You've obviously gone to Canada. Mexico I just, and Canada, yeah. I think anything that's connected to the United States is kind of the United States. So if you could go. <laughs> if you could go. <laughs> it's America. If you could go anywhere, like, overseas. Or maybe it's down to Panama, right? Right. But, like, far enough away where you could consider it out of the, out of the country. Where would you go? Oh, I would really like to explore the European flyway for geese. Right. Like pink foots and gray legs? Pink foots, gray legs, bean geese. Um, <laughs> bean geese? Barnacle geese. Yep. They have so many. Um, so here's one crazy statistic. Um, what is it? The Netherlands, which goose hunting is illegal in. You can do it by permit. Don't quote me on this stuff. Um, the Netherlands winters... Between four to five million geese of all these different species that we're talking about, including Canada geese. Naturally. And Egyptian geese and all sorts of species of geese. So we got four to five million geese in the Netherlands. That The Netherlands is 20% the size of Minnesota. Holy shit. Right. So. um, Holy shit. Yeah. That's so many birds so per like, square mile. <laughs> right. And like if, if the Netherlands had this problem that started coming up with... Uh, with Like that, taking people's guns away and then all of a sudden geese. the populations got out no, of control. With geese doing co- crop depredation. Right. So they had this really genius idea, like I think it was in the early 2000s or something like that, where they had... Uh, they said, okay, well, we got all this crop depredation. All of these, these geese, are, a lot of them are Arctic breeding geese. Well, we've seen this in North America too with Arctic breeding geese. What's happening to their populations? They're going bad. They're, they're expl- going, exploding. Oh, they're exploding. Sorry. Ross geese, snow geese. I was thinking of duskies. Speckle belly geese. All the Arctic breeders are just 
fucking exploding. They got they have Arctic breeding geese over there too. That's all the geese that we just were talking about. So they they're coming down by the millions and wintering in the Netherlands. And I mean, I mean, imagine five million geese in an area like the bottom half of Minnesota. Like the farmers there are having huge problems. The government was paying out huge payments to these farmers for all these depredation, all this depredation insurance, yeah. insurance and all that. And so they're like, we got this genius fucking idea. We're going to set aside all this land and we're going to turn it into this lush grassland to attract geese away from farmers' crops. And so when they did that, what they did was they basically doubled the acreage <laughs> in the Netherlands for, um, uh, for good goose habitat. And so what happened? The population just continues to explode. And like, yeah, they're on the, it's, a tr it's pulling geese away from the farmland, but the population is exploding in general. And if you look at this, the goose hunting scene in, uh, in Europe, it's just, it's, it's like us in the seventies, you know, it's just before goose hunting was what it is today yeah so if uh, some good follows on instagram are like dky which is dkwai that's a that's a big goose hunting company like uh, it's almost like max prairie wings of denmark uh i i, I believe it's dkwai.de is their website and they make their own lines of decoys and they make blinds that are like the power hunter blind like they're just copying american stuff pretty much uh hunting steph it's like hunting underscore yep. Steph. She's great. She's one of the owners of DKY. Um, but I think that's such a, uh, a an interesting and unique flyway. She's good looking too. Yeah, she's not bad looking. Wow. Well, they murder geese, dude. They do. <laughs> another good another good one to follow. Oh my god. Some of the 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 highest volume w wing shooting when it comes to geese is going to be southern Sweden. Yeah. And. Uh, um, Goose Hunting Sweden, uh, Christopher Hansen. He's another great follow. He's got a bunch of videos on YouTube um, that really make, like, people always say stuff like uh, when they're talking about hunting abroad, like, I want to go hunt Canada geese in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Dude, Sweden puts New Zealand to fucking shame. <clears throat> That's so crazy. That's so crazy, dude. So you would go there? I would go there, and, and, and there's other um, countries there, too, like... Um, that you don't hear get mentioned. I'm just going to pull open my map really quick. So there's this country just on the north side of Poland. It's called... Dude, service in your basement. Is it good? Kaliningrad. Oh, yeah. Kaliningrad is another country. It's actually part of Russia. Yeah. It's a Russian country, but it's on the coastline, sandwiched in between Lithuania and Poland. That country... Is basically just straight farms and marsh, and that's on that flyway. Um, Norway is another country that I'd love to goose hunt on. Um, if you could get up to Svalbard, Svalbard would be fun to hunt. Uh, Svalbard is, is, I believe, in the Arctic Circle, and that's where a lot of uh, the Arctic breeding geese are breeding uh, in that flyway over there. Hmm. Iceland would be fun to hunt, too. That's more... some The, the western side of Iceland, those... Canada geese come down to our eastern shore. As far as I know, the the um the large Canada geese that breed in did I say Iceland? Yeah, I said Iceland, Greenland. Uh, if you're talking about Greenland, like the there's geese Canada geese that nest on the west side. They're the farthest nesting 
giant can far, farthest north nesting giant Canada geese on earth. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to Iceland to shoot puffins. Shoot puffins? Yeah. That'd be fun. And they ban the shit out of them there too. You ever see Gordon Ramsay's video where they net them? Yes. That's, That's how they used to do it. Really? Yeah, like the big 30 30 foot nets and they go they were like standing on the bottom of the cliffs and they go like, yeah, that's how they that's how they've been doing it for years that's pretty cool centuries yeah so cool dude and i i grew up eating puffin cereal because all my family was gluten-free lactose free grain free you are a fucking hippie i'm a hippie dude and not by choice but now if i get a chance I'm buying the fruity pebbles <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> no, but I grew up with puffins on the box, and I was like, what is that bird? It looks like a toucan, but it's a shorter bill. I'm pretty sure it is a toucan. I think you're thinking of toucan, Sam. No, a puffin. They, like, on the box, they had, like, a different colored beak than anything else I'd ever seen. It looked like a, a mini toucan. So I'm like, huh. Hmm. So I looked it up, and, it like, they are out of control in Iceland. I'd I'm also like, like to huh. hunt... Ross snows and speckle in Mexico. I'd like to do that. I didn't realize they went that far. Yeah, Durango, Mexico. Which, if you Google Durango, Mexico, that's pretty deep. Is if it? You, yeah, but if you pull up eBird and start looking at uh, GPS, bird, like bird reports around Durango, there's fuck tons of geese down there. Hmm. Yeah, that'd be. I, I think that'd be really interesting. How hot is it down there when they're when they're there? Shit. I don't know. It can't be cold. <laughs> I mean, the times I've hunted Mexico in the winter, you know, like uh, I've been there in February twice. It was like 55, 60 in the morning, 75 in the afternoon. It's pretty warm. Yeah, it's warm in the afternoon, but it's like sweater weather in the morning, especially if there's a wind. How nice. I know. It's, here's what I like to say to people that want to do destination hunts that are achievable. Um, if you want to shoot geese, go north, Canada. Canada is your destination for geese. If you want to shoot white cheek geese, go to Manitoba. Manitoba, early October, mid-October. Um, you're going to find a mix, uh, mix of Canada's and a mix of cackling geese. That's going to just... <clears throat> be fantastic for you if you want to shoot a mixed species like mixed bag of geese like um snows specks ross cackling geese mostly some canadas go to saskatchewan that's your best bet for mixed bag and if you want to shoot ducks go south go to mexico mexico is the spot for ducks you're talking about consistency. Yeah, and if you want to shoot a lot of them, like if you want to shoot a lot of geese, go to Canada because the limits are high. Your opportunity is good. And if you want to shoot a lot of ducks, go to Mexico. That That's your options. Like, But I'd like to shoot geese in Mexico. That that, that climate, the environment, the um, margaritas, the tacos. I like that, dude. I like that a lot. Dude, speaking of that... Um Seriously, I, I'm sure I've told you this before, but the fact that you and Joe, when you were doing Foul Family, and you dressed up as a giant whatever you chili were. Chili peppers. is a giant chili pepper, and you um put hot sauce in your eye or something no, like no, that. You snorted hot sauce. No, no. We just ate it on chips. It Dude, was, uh, that was 
honestly the funniest thing. Like your reaction, I you were trying so hard. You were trying so hard to keep it together, but you were so obviously in so much pain. Dude, I puked. <laughs> Here, I never, I never back down from a hot, like a hot sauce or a hot pepper challenge, dude. To my own detriment. Somebody is always like, I always, I grew these ghost peppers in my garden. I'm like, God damn it. I have to do it. Give me one. <laughs> Give me one. Didn't even offer it to you. No, Fine. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean? Dude, I only have so many. Fine. Give it to me. Dude, I put a quarter of one of these in a gallon batch of salsa and it's super spicy. Give me one. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up and give me one. <laughs> I'm about to ruin the next two days of my life. I just can't help myself. I put two drops of it on a uh, on a piece of pizza, and this guy I was working with was just like, "Oh, you won't do it, you pussy." And I'm like, "No, I'll do it." You know, I like spicy. It's yeah. fine. He's like, "I don't think you're gonna like it." I'm like, "Cool." So then, eat it like you put it on like the very end of the triangle, you know. And it's like put it in my mouth. I'm like, "Wow, it actually tastes like really good." About 15 seconds later, I'm like, oh, no. Nah, damn oh, it. no, I've never felt this before. <laughs> <laughs> like, my eyeballs were sweating. My eyeballs were bad. And then he's like, you have to drink milk. You have to drink milk. I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm just, like, literally pouring it all over me. <laughs> like I, was, I was panicking, dude. <laughs> the only time I've ever vomited is on that video. From hot? Yeah, from a, from a hot spicy. Were you drinking, though? I feel uh, like you would have no, been drinking beers. No, I just showed up at the garage. We put on these suits, and Joe had a script written out for us. <laughs> it's very professional. It's very professional. So we we uh <laughs> we <laughs> we <had this laughs> God, what is that video called? We gotta like reference this. I just wanna I wanna play the audio of you after you eat it. And you, you're just like panicking silently. It's so good, dude. Dude, and vomiting it was way worse than eating it because it went through all my sinus cavities. Right. Foul family. Oh my god! Oh, he changed the name to Grinder Hines. He did, but if you just put in hot pepper, <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> Oh, it pops right up. It's called Drinking the Hottest Ranked Hot Sauce in the World by Grinder Heinz. It only has 8,000 views. It's six years ago. Drinking the Hottest Ranked Hot drinking the hottest ranked hot Sauce in the World. It was called Flashbang. Yeah, and we got Andy Hansen behind us in a sombrero. <laughs> I can't remember whose garage that was, but God damn it, that was fun. Happy Halloween. <laughs> it was like a Halloween thing we did, yeah. yeah. Dude, you guys look so stupid. Joe Heinz, Mayamo Nick Johnson, and this is our homebred and bartender Andrew Hansen. And on my last video, he's so I said serious. Yeah, we had a script. Five hundred likes, I'd get pepper sprayed, and if it got to a thousand, I'd even get tasered. Hey, we're almost at three thousand now, dude. <laughs> so you guys wait so long. Me and Nick Johnson are gonna take a shot of the hot sauce in the world. It's called Flashbang. Flashbang. It looks so intimidating, honestly. Yeah, it came in like a flashbang grenade. Right. Bottle. He bought it at like Mall of America or some shit. There used to be a hot sauce store in there. There might still be. I don't fucking know. And oh yeah, it smells like sissy sauce. <laughs> <laughs> You're already coughing. You're so scared. Well, 
You put it in a damn shot glass, dude. Yeah, we did at first. The second time we do it, we we do it on a chip. We put it in a shot glass and do a shot of it. Andy Hansen's behind there in the sunglasses and the sombrero. It was like basing ourselves. That's not a good feeling. <laughs> it's getting worse. I literally drove like an hour and a half to go do that. It's under my tongue. It's going down my throat. <laughs> Just talking the entire time. The more oxygen you put in your mouth, the worse. You're like, yeah. oh, I don't feel good. Yeah, and I just uncontrollably just vom- like projectile vomited. Holy shit, dude. It was awesome. Like I like I met you, hung out a couple times, went hunting a couple times. You're like, oh, yeah, we make YouTube videos. I'm like, oh, really? Cool. And I watched that. I'm like, oh, my God. What the fuck is like when you guys pepper sprayed Joe doing yeah. his goose calling routine. Yeah. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, that was that, he wanted to do shit like that. Like like back in the day. Like he wanted to do like jackass style stunts yeah. that were waterfall related. And I was and he wanted me to do it to him. And I was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, like, I will. Nick, will you pepper spray me while I blow my <laughs> goose call? And I was like, happily. <laughs> yes, I would love to, Joe. This is awesome. You know, you were kind of a dick to me last week. I would love to pepper spray yeah, you in the yeah. face. Yeah, I didn't appreciate how you didn't like my idea for how to set that hunt up. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Okay. So, in two months straight, right, in Canada? Yeah. What do you feel like? made you a better hunter this year like what you learned from either the locals or uh ben webster okay so because i'm sure you picked up some new shit 100 percent. when i arrived at prairie limits outfitters there is a crew up there um jack donner um dylan graves josh wright ben webster and every single one of those guys are so fucking good at hunting. It blew my mind. Really? I just really tried to uh, be a sponge, like, of just trying to absorb information from these guys um, that, uh, I mean, they, they are all so fucking good. Uh, when it comes to, like, everybody's got their strengths. For example, Jack, uh, Jack Donner, who he works at Big Kansas with Ben. Uh, you will never find a guy that can do a hide like Jack. And if you were helping Jack set up a hunt, you knew you were getting up a half hour early or 45 minutes earlier than you had to to get that hide perfect. I learned so much from Jack about hides and work ethic. Um, Dylan, uh, fantastic all-around hunter, but one thing about Dylan is the clients fucking love him. He's so personable, and uh, he's so personable and fun to be around. Ben has the knowledge of he's the best scouter I've ever met in my life. And he knows like where to hunt, when to hunt, what birds to hunt, what birds not to hunt. If you hunt these birds, hunt them this way. If you just follow, if he sets you up on a hunt and you follow his advice, things are going to go good. Um, 
And then you got Josh. Josh is one of the most aggressive, one of the best goose callers you'll ever meet. And uh, he's so uh, methodical about setting up his spreads. Uh, like when I, I I'm, a, I'm a good hunter. But when I showed up there, I, I just was like, I'm not the king dick in this camp. Mm-hmm. Like literally I can learn something from every single one of these dudes I work with. And uh, I did. I tried. I tried as much as I could, and you and, and I, f- <laughs> you failed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I failed hard. <laughs> and uh, no, the, and uh, I will all. I take I take some of those. I take all those lessons back to like what I've been doing in Wisconsin and stuff. And it's like fuck, man. I learned so much from those guys. What's like the one that really stands out? Oh, dude, like literally just pieces from everybody that I, that I just described the, the, the crew up there, uh, was, uh, give me one, give me one that is like, I'm for sure doing this in Wisconsin. Uh, the hiding thing. Uh, the, just the, just so what it, it's give me just, some details, just going this. above and beyond. Like if you find a, if you find a field that has the birds, a lot of birds and it has no hide. You have not found a hunt. You keep mm. moving. You know what I mean? Like those birds, sure. There's a lot of geese here. Good for them. If if you can't hide from them, how the fuck are you going to kill them? Mm-hmm. You know, like what are we going to do? Take a bunch of clients out to this field to watch birds flare all day and have a shitty hunt? You know, it, it it's just it's like okay, learn to pick and choose, and then um, uh, when you're hunting. There's, I had to learn a little bit more about like decoys and what's going to work and when, when the conditions aren't perfect. Because I'm used to hunting smaller groups. Let's just say before I went there. Used to hunting smaller groups of guys with high quality decoys. You know, two, two to four guys, DSDs. Shit's going to go right. What are you going to do when you got eight guys and your options are you know, Dakotas and silhouettes. How do we make this work? Like what, what's working on a particular day versus not a particular day, you know, like, so there, there's that. How do we, okay. I, I, I'm obsessed with games within a game, right? So I'm a big band hunter, right? Band hunting is a game within a game. Yep. It's a game within the game of hunting. And, uh, I would say what, the the last couple of years of full time guiding has um, really uh, given me a new passion for a game within a game. Is the game within a game when you're guiding is how do I get these clients their fucking birds? That's the game. That's the game within a game. Like everything. Like when you're in uh, Canada, you can't have a gun, and right. so even like uh, I don't shoot on my Wisconsin hunts either now. Like. If you're shooting or if you're taking videos, whatever it is, you're not watching birds fall. And every bird that falls, I want to recover. That's a game within the game. You know, like if a bird is sailing off to the right, I've got to get a perfect mark on him. And I got to know, is he sitting there or is he tucking his head and running? Mm -hmm. If he's tucking his head and running, we got a problem. We got to deal with it. You know, like because I want to get those. I got to. Get those clients their birds. That's one of their birds. And in Canada, you can't shoot the cripple for them. You can't. No. 
And as long as as long as a bird can't fly, I can get it by running. Right. Yeah, I, I can run faster than every single waterfall bird out there. Not by much, <laughs> but I can I've been get, outran. I can gain on them. I can gain on them. Speaking em. of being outran, uh, Carter was dumb enough to challenge me to a race in Canada. That's thought he could quote unquote smoke me. Mm-hmm. Where'd you guys go in Canada? Uh, we were in Sask. How was it? It was unreal. It's cool. Just absolutely beat the shit out of the snows. Yeah. Which is fun. And so, like, Cal and I were kind of salivating, like, we want to shoot some ducks, dude. Let's go find a public water spot. and There's not much public up ducks. there. But we did find some. Nice. And we did kill birds on it. Nice. It was fun. It was also snowing cool. at the beginning of October. So, <clears throat> but anyway, back to uh, the foot race. Quabby Kauda uh, thought he could beat me in a race. Do yeah. you do you think in a million years Carter could beat me in a race? No. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he goes, No, you fall started. That's why you won. There, it, there's video evidence that I did not fall start. There's a video. <laughs> Cal has it on his phone. He's not here. No evidence. Oh my God. <laughs> he cheated. I would have won if he didn't cheat. Hmm. Mm. Then we did it again. Beat him again. Hmm. A lot closer when he didn't cheat though. Give Carter another year in the gym. He'll beat you. Yeah. Sure, dude. Yeah. Give you another year of uh, me having kids and you working your ass off. Let's see if you could beat me. I'll still smoke you. Nah. Mm-hmm. Nah. Mm. I'll whoop that flat ass you got, bro. So how about you? Any lessons that you could take from the 2023 season? Dude, I've learned some messed up stuff. Okay. Messed up. I have just really been reading birds this year. Mm-hmm. And not for the good, if that makes sense. So like, this year is probably one of the worst in the last 12. Really? It's been bad. Yeah. It's been rough. And, like, I, I would attribute to some of it uh, to me having kids, mm-hmm. you know, having a daughter. And then we have a son coming in February. But, like, having a young child and then your wife being pregnant doesn't really allow for a whole lot of free time to go out and scout you know, mm-hmm. and so what I did this year is I built a pontoon blind and put it on a pond that is historically very, very good. And it's not a roost; it's not the place they want to be. It's a transition pond, mm-hmm. so it's perfect. You know, it's like you show up right around sunrise, set your decoys. By the time you're done setting your decoys, birds are starting to fly. They're done feeding and they're on their way to feeding. They stop at the pond, then they go feed, then they come back after feeding, and then they go back to the roost. Sure, it's a really cool spot. And uh, this year there was some flooded corn nearby, and not a single bird gave a fuck. Like, they didn't care. Because they would leave the roost, <coughs> fly over the pond. I could call at them. I could put out massive amounts of decoys. Like, three dozen DSD floaters. And four dozen duck floaters and pulsators and spinners, no spinners, jerk rig. Didn't matter. And what it taught me was... I knew which birds were going to do it. Right. You know, like we still killed birds on it, but it wasn't like years past. Mm-hmm. Like I've been hunting it for eight years and this is the worst year by far. And yeah. we had a good hide, you know, because the pontoon blind is was was brushing before it blew across the pond. But um, <coughs> no, it's just I've just been really watching the wing beats, you yeah. know. Yeah. Just because, okay, none of the birds today are probably going to do it. And then one in that one flock, you notice that one wingtip kind of do something different. You're like, I'm going to hit him now. Mm-hmm. And then they do it. 
it's like, ooh, right. oh, okay. Right. And then you go hunt a different area that's not as pressured, whatever. You see that same wing beat on that one in the flock, and then it drags everything else in the flock. It's like, okay. Right, right. Okay. It's just like more trial and error on bird watching. Bird watching, yeah, yeah, yeah. When and how to call. Yep, yep, yep. And and that that's uh, a super for ducks mainly. Ducks and it it's also for geese too. But it's just it's it's a good something you pick up on over the years is just reading birds. And it's definitely true that some of the best goose killers I know are not the best goose callers, but they are very, very, very good at reading birds. And to somebody who's listening and being like, well, how do I get good at reading birds? I'm not the best goose caller. It's just trial and error. It's a lot of years, man. It's a lot of years. And just just trying to figure it out, like, when do I call? When do I not call? What kind of sounds do I make? I always default to uh, when somebody was looking for, like, advice on how to read birds and how to call it birds. Always just start slow and realistic. Whatever you can do, bare minimum. Bare minimum, they can hear, they can see you, they can hear you. Give them the least amount of realistic, the least amount of most realistic calling you can possibly do. So for me, for geese, cluck. Bloop, 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 bloop. Are you doing the, bloop, you do bloop. mainly the same tone? Like yeah. Like you're I'm, being one bird? I'm a clucker. I'm a clucker at geese. I, I cluck a lot. Bloop, 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 bloop. I mean, that's bare minimum that we're talking. Do they react to it? Dude, I have this four-pack of geese that uh, it was to finish our limit. We had four left. We had four left, and these things kept spinning and spinning and spinning. I missed a shot call on them once. They were like 20 yards right over the top of us, and they kept spinning. And I'm giving them the bare, bare, bare minimum. Bare minimum, most realistic. Bluk, 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 bluk. And they're calling back. Back up, back, back, back. And then... I just am reading them, reading them. They spin around, they spin around, they spin around, and I realize like I got, I, I got to step this up. Mm-hmm. And it, then what I ended up doing, I spin, spun them their last time. It's probably literally like their eighth time. And I'm just like black, 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 just repetitive clucks. And I had to do that all the way till their feet touched the ground, which I hadn't had to do that day, but I had to do it on that flock. And it's just you know, just an experience thing. Yeah, I noticed this year. Um there's this guy named uh, Grady Stevens that my dad and I used to hunt with all the time. He's like one of the best goose callers in the world, for sure. And he won an Illinois mouth calling contest back in the day, and it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Grew up hunting with Tim Grounds, and uh, Simon Carlson still hunts with him once or twice a year. And Grady is like insane on a goose call, dude. And But when Simon hunts with him, he does one note. The entire time. It's like a... But he does it at the right time. Mm -hmm. And he has the perfect tone with that. And he does it like in variable speeds and whatever. Simon explained it to me one time. And it's just like, huh. And so I thought about that the other day when I was getting my ass kicked. I was just like, I'm just going to hit one cluck. And then one, like, changes flight pattern a little bit. And I waited for him to kind of leave. And then I did it again. And he took a wide turn. And then he kept coming and kept coming. And then I could tell I needed to go faster because he was starting to, like, lose interest again. Yeah. And then started doing it more and more. And then I messed up a note. 
Because it was like, it's like a weird, buzzy cluck. And like your hand pressure, your back pressure has to be like perfect for it. And I messed one up and he just like turned like away. I'm like, oh shit. I just stopped calling. I'm like, he's done. And then uh, 10 minutes later, guarantee you it's the same goose. Comes out of nowhere and does the same exact note that I was doing. Yeah, it gives you so a second chance. So I did one chance. and he just maple leafed <laughs> all the way down. I just did one. Yeah. Maple leafed all the way down. Killed him, toenails, touching the water. I'm yeah. like, okay. Default to realism. <coughs> Default to realism. I mean, if realism doesn't work four times, then then start getting out. I think some people just try to push it too too far, too fast. Yeah. And getting out of that realism scale, like where they have like a really nice cluck or really nice spit or really nice moan. But it, when they throw it all together, it's like ee, a little cringy. Yeah. Don't don't do the cringy sounds until. Nothing else has worked. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, uh, shit, where was it? Uh, I know you're not like the biggest duck hunter, like you don't target them. But um, in a couple of spots that I hunt pretty regularly, especially by myself, ducks will just come out of nowhere. Like you can't see them coming for whatever reason. They they tend to come from behind you, and there's too much of a hide, so you can't see them. And uh, I can't remember who I was talking to five, six years ago, and they're just, like, duck calling. I'm like, why are you just duck calling? You seeing birds? And he's like, no. He's like, I'm trolling. I'm like, trolling what do you mean, for what, ducks. What do you mean you're trolling? He's like, I'm just putting sounds out there because I can't see them coming. Right. And, you know, if they're flying even remotely by, they'll hear me. So it's like every couple of minutes he'd just go, and then he'd stop. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <clears throat> and there was a couple of birds that, just came out of nowhere, just dumped into our Yeah, they might have heard you. And then uh, last couple of years I've been doing that, and it, it totally works. Yeah, especially ducks typically fly around silently. Yeah. Yeah. So Every once in a while you hear a... Or how many times you hunt and you hear like... Oh, just the wings? Yeah. Oh, God. It gets me horny. <laughs> Every time I hear that, dude. <laughs> Which brings me into uh, our next sponsor. I know you've been using Sound Gears. Oh, dude. Dude. They were just incredible, and I was so scared that when I was using them, I wouldn't be able to hear the wings, you know, just because your ears are plugged and whatever, but because they only cancel out noise when it's, like, harmful to your hearing. So, like, I think it's 14 decibels is when it harms your hearing. Um, I can still hear the wings, and I can still hear that my calling sounds good, and I can still hear people talking in the blind. Those phantoms are just incredible. And I know you already have a pair, but for everybody who doesn't have a pair, we have a discount code. There's a phone number if you're watching on YouTube. Otherwise, you can use uh, Flyways in all caps or fly, MWF125. Sure. Yeah, I I have not hunted without Sound Gear Phantoms in my ears for... A couple years now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely uh, my most... Basically, the most important thing I put in my bag. Dude, there's a couple of times this year where, you know, you're, you're in the hunt. And, like, there was one time I pushed up against something and it poked further into my eardrum and I was like, ow. And I took it out and I took both of them out. And then, uh, oh, I was on duck opener with Wade and he's from down south. And so when he calls for ducks, dude, he's calling for ducks. Like sure. he's not messing around. And he starts calling ducks. I'm like, oh my God, dude. That was so loud. It hurt my ears so bad. And I was thinking like the amount of years that I wasn't hunting with this and that didn't hurt my ears. 
It's like how harmful has this stuff been to my hearing? Oh, dude, guiding up in Canada. I I haven't shot a shell. Like when when my earplugs come out, I'm not shooting. Yeah, I'm just not sacrificing my hearing. Well, and you're what thirty seven? I'm thirty six. Thirty six. Like maybe it's maybe it's a combination of getting older and then we've been doing it for so long without hearing pro. But you've always kind of worn ear pro. I I've always been pretty good about hearing protection through my hunting career. Um, but like, dude, if you just, if you hunt a lot and it, or if you know people who hunt a lot, they wear hearing protection mm-hmm. just cause why would you put yourself through that pain for no reason? Like when you hunt a lot and you shoot a lot and you're around a lot of shooting, it's just a mandatory requirement that you have hearing protection. And the reason I tell people to buy sound gear phantoms is, um, it connects to my phone. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't use Soundgear Phantoms when I hunt. I use Soundgear Phantoms every single day. I put them in when I do the dishes and I listen to a podcast. I put them in when I go to the gym and I'm running on the treadmill and I'm and I'm lifting weights, all that stuff. I'm, I'm wearing my Soundgear Phantoms every single day. So like I, that helped me justify the cost because they're not cheap. No. They, so it's like, okay, it's not... That I'm spending this amount of money on a hunting on a hunting thing that I wear when I go hunting. No, you're using it for your lifestyle as well. Yeah, yeah. I wear it when I mow the lawn. I wear them. That's I, a huge thing too, man. I, you know how loud these zero turns are. Yeah, yeah. And like how loud a push mower is, right? Especially a push mower. Yeah, those things are loud, dude. Dude, I, I w- yeah. The Soundgear Phantoms have been great. Uh, one time I had one that died on me. And uh, this was after about one year of use, so probably about 340 uses. Mm -hmm. And I put it in the mailbox at Tuesday at 3 p.m., and then I got it back. The next Tuesday, a FedEx guy showed up at 3 p.m., so it was one week turnaround to get my... Yeah, the the customer service is fantastic. And they're out of Minnesota, too, which is pretty cool. The product is uh, necessary. It's the best investment you can make for hunting, like... Yeah, I, I've been on the sound gear train for a long time. They're pretty sick. I had uh mine got damaged on a hunt. Uh it was raining and uh it was pouring actually, and I put them on this little shelf deal when we were done hunting, we were picking up deeks and uh it was getting rained on. And so they <coughs> you put them in your ears and they go and I'm like, Oh fuck. <laughs> These are fifteen hundred dollars, you know. <laughs> I just trashed these. Come on! And I was talking to our sound gear rep, and he's like, "Dude, bring them in um, after game fair. We're out of Eden Prairie." So I was working in Eden Prairie. I dropped him off there. He's like, "We'll have them to you within a couple of weeks." Got a phone call the next day. Done. And they were fixed. Nice. And they sent them to my house. It was ridiculous. I'm like, damn. Like Carter, uh, they did an update on theirs where they don't um, turn on by themselves. And uh, Carter's like, can you can you send him mine? And so I brought him in there, and you had him in three days? Less than that. I think it was one or two. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. dude. Like, the customer service is, like, on top of their stuff. Yeah, it's something you just need. I don't know. I, I literally haven't hunted without. I put them in my ear. I put them in my head. And here's, here's what. I've been a, a big sound gear uh, advocate for a couple years. And there's two questions I always get. Number one, are they comfortable? And number two, can you hear yourself calling? Number one, let's deal with the comfort issue. Are they comfortable? 
not like not having earplugs in. That's the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, but are they tolerable? A hundred percent. And uh, they're molded to your ear. They're so. molded to your ear. But like, yeah, it's not great having a chunk of plastic in your head. All right. for, dude, and I have worn these things literally from sunrise to sunset hunts. Right. You know what I mean? And the batteries don't die. And um, and can you hear yourself calling? Not as good as without earplugs. But like, dude, what am I going to not, what am I going to do? Not wear earplugs? No, what I've like, always told people is if if you have been calling for a while and you are confident in what you're doing, right. it will take you one hunt. Yeah, to like you can hear yourself to feel you it. Can you can hear fine. yourself just fine. Are they are, are they comfortable? I don't know. They they don't feel like I, I don't get know. my bell rung. Yeah, I don't. You know, it's comfortable not having freaking ringing ears after a hunt. That's what's comfortable. Right. Like, are they? The most perfect things you've ever put in your freaking, jam- the the most perfect plastic chunks you've ever shoved into your the sides <laughs> of your heads, no. But what is your what's what's your other option to not wear them? I've found that if I don't wear them for months and then I put them in, it's weird. But if I'm wearing them four times a week, three times a week. I don't even notice that they're in there. Okay, so they say tinnitus, which is the constant constant ringing in your ears. They say that is not curable, right? Right. Okay, but before I got sound gears, I was getting tinnitus in Morse code. So um, what I mean by that is sometimes my ears would have tinnitus and they'd be like, it'd sound like Morse code, right? I don't get that anymore. So... I probably got them at the right time. I honestly feel like my tinnitus is better now because I like literally am like so strict about not hunting or I'm, I'm so strict about my use of them. So when I hunt, I always, (laughs) I always wear a lot of headgear, right? So like I've got my hat, I've got a face mask. I always wear a face mask. Mm -hmm. Then I, then I'll have a hood. I'll have a hood above that. And there's so many times I like, Put my face mask on, put my hood up, put my calls on, get everything ready. And then I'm like, son of a bitch, I forgot to put my sound gears in. I have to take all that stuff off and put my sound gears in. But I don't hunt without them. 100% I do not hunt without them. Whether it's for 35-minute hunt or for a 12-hour hunt, I don't hunt without them. Yeah. So real quick, um, when you're in Canada, obviously when you have clients in the field, you can't shoot. Mm-hmm. How many times did you go out, like by yourself or with the other guides, like when there was no clients? Like how many times did you pull the trigger in Canada? Zero. Zero. Zero for all fall twenty two, spring twenty three. Is that fall because you guys were so booked, or you just needed a break well, when you needed a break? Because kind of. Well, no. It's it's we 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 would have the opportunity to hunt, but um, when you're there, you're working, and your your obligation. F- while you're there is to provide the clients with the best hunting absolutely possible um, during their hunt. So for me, that means being well-rested and being in the tip-top shape that I possibly can be for the clients that are coming in next. So you treat it like an athlete. So if I had an opportunity to either fun hunt or catch up on rest, I would catch up on rest. I never even purchased a hunting license while I was there. No shit. Yeah. It, it wasn't even a thought in my mind that I'm going hunting. <laughs> I'm here for one reason, and the reason is to do my job 
and to take the clients hunting. It's not, it's not a glory grab for me. I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to do the best job I can for the clients and to help the team. And if I go hunting, if I wake up early on a day where I could have possibly slept in, I'm, I'm for sure taking away a certain percentage of what I could be from the following day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, it's, it, it, you just treat it like a job. That's, that's exactly how I feel going to all these outfitters and taking pictures. They always ask me like, how do you not pick up a gun and shoot? It's just, it's a job. It's not for fun for us. Yeah. 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 I've got some guys. uh, So my last hunt I I ran uh, last Saturday was a great hunt. Great, great hunt. And uh, (laughs) I had a helper out there with me. who's not as experienced as a guide as me. And uh, he was like, so we had three to four shot calls where we killed zero birds. Yeah. And three to four shot calls where we killed one. And he's like, dude, that was so painful. That was so painful to watch. He's like, how do you not, how do you not want to shoot when that's going on? Just to, like, uh, just to put some extra birds on the ground. Like, and it's just a game within a game. Like my game that I'm playing when I'm with the clients is not, it's not, it's not, it, the, the game is to get the clients their birds. You know, it's not, the game isn't to get me my birds or to, sh- to shoot, you know. So you, you find in, guiding is so much different than hunting. It's yeah. so much different than hunting. It's, uh, it's the game within a game. And some people will find that they are in th- just uh, obsessed with hunting. They would love to make it their lifestyle or life, uh, the, their, uh, the way they make income their living, source, yeah. their income source. And they find that they're not really that, interested in guiding and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that if you want to be a hunter and you've tried you you think like guiding is what you want to do with your life and you try it and you it turns out like because number one you're not shooting birds number two you're not hunting as much as you otherwise would like especially for like somebody who gets a job like their first one or two years when they're a scout like uh, if you get a job at a big outfitter or something like that, you, a lot of times you're starting out, you know, you're in your teens or your early 20s. You're starting out as a scout. You're going out every day, scouting birds, putting miles on your truck, finding these good feeds. And then the experienced guide, you know, that's in their late 20s, early 30s, that's been with the company for five or six years. They're the ones running the hunt. And then you only get to hunt on that Sunday, that's the turnover day. And it's like, you can hunt if you want to. Well, you're hunting once a week? You're hunting one time a week? Well, shit, back home, you were hunting four times a week with your normal job. You know what I mean? So it's like... Right, then with they, your friends. With your friends. You're hunting, and then not only are you, like, uh, the, that day, that turnover day where you get to actually go and load a shotgun and go hunting... Um, well, anytime a single or a pair or a three pack comes you're in, you're not shooting. You're not shooting. So, like, like uh, you can only shoot into the flocks. You can only hunt one time a week. You're putting in this monumental effort where you're scouting every single day and you're helping people set up their hunts every single day, and you're not getting, you're not getting to hunt as much as you otherwise would. That's uh, you got. If you don't love the game, the game within a game, then it's it's just not for you, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. No, because we've obviously been asked many times to guide. Sure. You know, like, why don't you guide? Why don't you do this? And I have guided mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. And it's really fun for me one to ten days. Right. Outside of that, 
I get burned out, dude, because it's a literal job. Like you said, you have to dedicate all of your time. And once you realize how much time it takes to really be successful consistently, yeah, it's all day. Yes. You're you're always brushing a blind. You're always scouting. You are always setting a spread. You are mm-hmm. always doing something the night before. And by the time you realize what time it is, it's like, oh, shit, I need to get five hours of sleep. Oh, man. And it's this the stress is monumental. Like, Well, it's like people are paying really good money. Like yeah. if you're working at a really good outfitter, yeah. people are paying $350 to $1,000 a day. Right. And it's like, whoa. Okay, whoa, I need yeah. to really make this a thing and then it's not about you anymore right and so that's a tough part and so like i've i've really enjoyed guiding i've always loved putting people on their first birds and just like showing them a really good hunt and just being like no no no, hey hey just trust me Mm -hmm. let's do what i want to do and we'll kill birds because the first three to four years in midwest fly was i was taking like 35 to 50 people out a year for their first duck hunt Mm -hmm. because all my friends are like joe you're not drinking anymore you're not partying with us like what's going on it's like I'm duck hunting every, like, four days, like, every two days, every three days. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have time for that. And it was so much fun watching people's eyes go like this. Can we shoot? Can we shoot? <laughs> yeah. Like, I love that. You know, it's like, but I really liked it with my friends. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I want you to understand why I'm so passionate about this and, like, how it's so much more than just, like, shooting a bird. All right. You know, it's like, this is tradition. This is heritage. This is hundreds of years especially in the americas it's like this is how a lot of people got their food yeah and it's just like that feeling of birds backpedaling your decoys just like whoa (laughs) i love that (laughs) i do too you know and so like when i was down at stewart ranch oklahoma um that was a fucking job it is that was a job dude and like yeah you can go scouting but it was different they had thirty-three thousand acres of private land and you can't just like drive on the road and just be like oh they're in that cattle pond. Oh, they're in that cattle pond. No, you have to go through gates. You have to open and close gates. You have to understand the property. And it was tough. Mm-hmm. Like It was not easy. And I hated not, if if it was my day to scout, I hated saying I, I didn't find something. Oh, that's and the so it's worst. Like, you, you feel, feel like, like a, a failure. Piece, you dude. feel like a piece of shit. And like if uh, like uh, Prairie Limits Outfitters, you, you got three groups of guys going out every single day. Dude, if we shot 70 birds... But your guys came back to the camp and they found out the other two groups shot 91 and 108 and you were the low group of the day. They don't want to go with you tomorrow. Yeah, it's like, God damn it. And, uh, dude, like ev- like when you're guiding, ev- I want every fucking bird to decoy. I want so bad. I want I want them to come in so bad. Dude, I, I did my first fun hunt with Jared Gray and... Uh, yeah, and I, it was so nice out there on at, at his farm when I we were calling it some birds and they're coming down in the decoys and I was like, I don't give a fuck if they decoy or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hammer them. Yeah. No, I just like just it's so nice to be out here with friends and uh, you know if they come in they come in. If they mm-hmm. don't, then, you know, maybe there's another flock later today. But when you're guiding, it's just like, please, God, please. Like, you're just, you're like, you're just, just, you're mm-hmm. so tense. And uh, the, the the pressure is on so hard. It's it, The game within a game is so much pressure behind it. Because uh, not just the money. Like, uh, I've got guys coming from Missouri. I've got guys coming from Ohio. 
I've got guys coming from uh, all over the place to hunt with me, and they're not just paying me a lot of money. They're taking vacation from their jobs. Right. They're convincing their buddies this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you know, like this one guy, he's like, oh, we should go hunt with Nick Johnson in Wisconsin. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, you know, now he's on now like he's vouched for me pretty much. Yeah. And, and it's just there's the pressure. You got to entertain him. You got to show him a good time. Yeah. You got to do your absolute best to right. make it worth their money. Right. And uh, it's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, especially up in Canada, too, where everyone kills birds, dude. Everyone kills birds, and so they, if they went up to Canada and they didn't kill birds... Well, we kill birds, but... But you know what I'm saying. Dude, the amount of, like, 30 to 50 bird hunts we have where the guys don't take a picture, mm. it's crazy. It's just the expectations. And I get it, because if you were to book a hunt in Argentina, you would ex- you have high expectations. If you go to Canada and hunt with Prairie Limits or whoever... Um, you have high expectations. But I'll tell you this much, too, about hunting up there. The hunting is hard. The hunting is not like give me hunts every time you go out there. It's the reason that you can go on Instagram and Facebook or whatever and look up a lot of these Canadian outfitters and they have these ginormous piles day after day after day. It's not because the hunting is super, super, super easy. Dude, these guys that work up there are fucking professionals and they are very good at what they do. Not just at Prairie Limits. There's a lot of good outfitters up there and those guides deserve a lot of credit. They really, really do. Like, uh, sure, sometimes it's easy to have a massive, crazy, big pile hunt up there, but it's just as easy to have a dog shit hunt up there, too. Well, yeah. It's I mean, hunting. It's hunting, bro. It's hunting. Yeah. It's hunting. Even if you go to Canada, even if you go to Argentina, the work has to be put in, and uh, um, sometimes, like, maybe guys are just, like, you know, like, have these expectations of Canada, but... If you are going with a reputable guide up there, you're getting some good guides. Good yeah. guides. Good guides. What's like the average person paying? Uh, I think a three-day trip up at Prairie Limits was 3400 Per person? Mm-hmm. For three days. Five hunts. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you hunt morning, morning afternoon. and afternoon. For the first that's a really good deal, honestly. Yeah. And meals and lodging. Yeah. No, that's a really good deal. Well, I mean... But if you take that to what like, ducks in the morning, geese in the afternoon, or vice versa? Vice versa, usually. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you can't shoot geese in the afternoon. Right? Yeah, to like October fourteenth or fifteenth. Yeah, dark geese. That is. So we'll do like ducks in the morning, and then after like September fourteenth or fifteenth, when we start getting Ross geese and snow geese, then those guys are going out for like snows and Ross in the afternoon, and um, uh, like it, it usually the the best hunting. I I honestly think like if you if you go up there. Book, like, as close as you can to September 1st. Like, there won't be any snows or Ross, but, man, the hunting's really, really, really For good. ducks, you're saying they're ducks just and stupid. Ducks. Yeah, and they're, they're all fresh. They're all juvies. I like that. I like that time period the best. You might be a little bored in the afternoon, but you don't run into those stale birds. You know what I mean? When we were up there, what I thought was really interesting, so we were there. Carter, what were the dates on that? First week of October, like 5th through 7th or something. Yeah, I think yeah, I think we were there the third through the seventh, something like that. Yeah, and I just never heard of ducks being like weary in a field. So like we, I oh, mean, they get just they get lugged the snow geese, hundred and forty three the first day, hundred eleven the second day, and then we shot like fifty some darks the third day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was stupid. Like I was like, whoa, 
Like, we were just, like, laughing. Like, it's one of those things where you're, like, at the end of the day, you're, like, holy shit, we shot 143 snow geese today. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just all, it all happens so fast that, like, you're kind of in shock. And then two hours after the hunt, you're, like, whoa. After you're done, like, as you're cleaning all of them, it's, like, <laughs> whoa. Yeah. We've been here for three and a half it's hours. It's like a pigeon hunt, except these are all geese. Right. And uh, we were, we were, like, we had spinners out and shit. And ducks were, like, super weary. And the guy was like, yeah, they've been really weary of uh, every time we... Um, Got another outlaw. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, every time we hunt ducks out of a panel blind, they've been super weary. Right. And I'm like, I've never heard of that from Canada, so I don't know if that's... Oh, yeah. Did you experience oh, that this yeah. year? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Those ducks get stale as fuck up there, man. And then you get a full moon, and you get some fresh ducks. Dude, there was, like... We absolutely fucking smashed ducks. Here, I had the last... I'll switch you out. That's going to be fizzy as I'll get out. Uh, let me look here. I had the last duck limit that we had for like 10 days. It was on September... Uh, this is the day right here. September 16, I had our last duck limit. So we were like limiting on ducks every group, every day. And then September 16th, I took a group out in the afternoon... That was the last one. To the freezing peas. And uh, I took them out, and then I don't think we shot another duck limit until September 26th. So we had 10 days of just stale, stale. And then we got a fresh batch of ducks in, and and then we were able to kill them again. Huh. That's crazy, man. I just... Dude, everybody... Uh, it, it, the, the birds get stale. They all get hard to hunt. You deal with different weather situations every single day. Um, the everybody gets either sick or grumpy. You know, it's it's such a grind. Just like your boyfriend, Grinder Hines. Guys, I want to talk about our last sponsor for tonight. It is R.W. Coolidge. Nick, I don't know if you've ever heard of R.W. Coolidge. They've been around since 1929, but he makes some of the best leather goods in the industry. I've heard of them. And so the leather straps that he makes for ducks, he's tested the crap out of the brass. He gets it from Mexico. The leather is incredible. And best brass is from Mexico. True. Yeah. True. Um, <laughs> God dang it. God dang it, Nick. Um, no, I hung 10 honkers on it for like three, four hours, and this was that migrator hunt that Joe and I did on the water tower, mm -hmm. and uh, it was totally fine. I was like expecting it to come back and the strap had fallen because, I mean, I could barely carry that more than 100 yards because it was so damn heavy. And I let it hang on the nail, and it was fine until we cleaned the birds. All right. It was ridiculous. I believe you. Um, so that's, like, my favorite thing. <laughs> and then also they have great heavyweight hoodies, and then they have leather care stuff. I mean, Kevin has a bunch of really good stuff. I think a duck strap there. is, like, one of the most uh, underappreciated tools. Oh, dude. I love it. Dude, until you – you know how many – all right, on a walkout hunt? Yes. Like, if you have to walk out and then carry your birds out – Guess how many large Canada geese I can carry 500 yards? Four. Two. Two. Dude, try carrying four. You make it 250 before you drop two of them motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's true. It is. Yeah. You can carry one bird in each hand, dude, before, like, I'm talking like half a mile or more. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that, a strap, worth its weight in gold. It's true. And, like... Honestly, man, like, there's a lot of straps out there, but there's just something about 
wider, thicker, good leather. More comfortable. It's just more comfortable yeah. on your shoulder, yeah. and there's just... And you can disconnect. You can keep your birds separated, your birds from other people's birds. Correct. It's an uh, it's an underappreciated tool, for sure. Every a, a good, it's a good practice to have a good strap for everybody. It just is. And there's just something special. Like it when I was growing up, they had the straps where it was like the metal goes like yeah, this. Those aren't kinda terrible. Like, kind of yeah. looks like a wiener and balls. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah, I know what you're talking. The wire, like, those aren't terrible. No, they're not terrible, but um, I just remember growing up and being too young to, like, shoot and whatever, and we'd kill birds, and they'd send me out there into the water as the bird dog, and, Julie, get down, as you're in the middle of the spread, you know? Yeah. And you, you go out and grab the birds, and they're like, put it on the straps, put it on the straps, and you're just, like, looking around in the blind as, like, people are calling or whatever. They won't let you look out of the blind because your face is too white. You know, shit like that. So you just end up looking around the blind a lot because you're bored as a young kid. And I just remember staring at duck straps and just like seeing how cool it was where like all their heads are stacked on top of each other like that. Yeah. I just have a, I've always had an appreciation for duck straps. Right. I don't know. Cause like, especially if you're in a, on a water hunt and like you've heard of the high and dry poles or they're now called hella dry. There are these, like, marsh poles you stick in the water. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they're amazing, dude. Because I hate having my ducks wet all day because when you go to breast them out, they they look like shit for yeah. a picture at the end of the day. And then also it makes yeah. it tougher to get the feathers off and to split apart the fat on their breasts. Yeah. And um, it just feels disrespectful leaving them laying right. in water and shit, too. So I just, I love the straps. Yeah. One thing I've learned, too, about... Uh quality of meat is it starts the moment you pick up the bird 100 percent. yeah if you want to eat good ducks and geese and you don't want them to taste like shit that process starts the moment you pick it up totally yeah well you know what they do in arkansas right what's that? what they've been doing for a century or more is they uh they hang them by the yeah. tail feathers yep and uh when they fall it means that they're ready so they'll let them oh, yeah, sit there yeah, for yeah, three four yeah, days yeah hanging birds yeah there's yeah. an art to that too yeah and so it's like hmm so i've done it it's like dry aging it yeah dry essentially it. Yeah, yeah, as long as they're not gut shot you're right. good to go and if it is gut shot just you better dr- lay that bird on its back you can field dress and hang them too true just rip out the entrails and hang yeah them. yeah yeah that's kind of it's yeah you can do that you can <laughs> yeah it's not my favorite uh you know how many times i've accidentally cut myself reaching in there yeah. you get like a yeah. bone spur or something from a pellet going in there it's just like Ouch, you just have the scrape going up your hand. Yeah. It's happened to me so many so many times. Dude, I can I can talk about cleaning birds with that. Dude, Prairie Limits, we'd clean Bird three, to, three to five hundred birds a day. Nine of us. So are you just a savage at it now? Yeah. <laughs> God. Are you just like uh I guess what's the most efficient way? Ripping them open by hand. You step on the wings and pull no. on the breastplate? No. Or on the neck, I mean? Anything that needed transport, legal transport back into the United States, we bird hitched. We had bird hitches that were yeah. mounted to the floor at the at the shop, and they'd be at, like, waist level, pull the birds through them, cut one wing off with the shears. Every bird we individually tagged and bagged. And then when it comes to, like, breasting, you can rip open the breast meat with your hands and then pass it to a guy to fillet off the breast meat. Oh, like you you rip off the whole plate? No, all anything that needed a one wing attachment, which you don't need in Canada. 
as it's being transported. Right. Yeah. Anything that did need it that was going back into the United States, we'd bird hitch. Anything that didn't need it, we would just breast. So. So what's so you just rip? Y- yeah. Rip the fat off. So, like, when it comes to just breasting birds, you can get the entire skin off the breast with just your hands. Yeah. You just pinch it up by like where like on the nape of its neck. Well, much. you can feel it on your on yeah, your neck. Yeah, 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 right there. And then you could just grab it, pinch it, rip it up towards the head, and then work your fingers down. Oh, you start from the bottom and go up. I start from the top, go up to the neck, and then work my way down. Or oh, you you uh, you yeah. jazz fingers it and then rip yeah. it open. Yeah, I use my thumbs and then yeah. rip. Yeah, the only thing that I can't really do it with. Is uh, early season geese. Yeah, those are a bitch. I hate cleaning early season geese. Yeah. And then... A lot of feathers in the shop uh, when we do late those. Late season geese. There's every once in a while where the fat is just like super glued. Yeah, it's like it's like the skin is super glued to the muscle. <laughs> Sometimes you got to use a knife on those. Yeah. Once in a while. But I, I, uh, I learned uh, growing up deer hunting how to like separate the fat from the, from right. the muscle. Right, right. And so when I'm cleaning birds, and we we're uh, we've been using Williams knives for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. sharp dude, like careful, 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 and like you just pull the pull it, and you just, and you're done. <laughs> All right, I got to pee. Let's do a ten minute Tuesday. All right, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Nick. People can find you on Instagram. How? Uh, Nick underscore A underscore Johnson. If you guys want to book a hunt with me, um, you're going to find me on that. I do not have an Instagram. I you do, don't have an Instagram anymore? Not for my hunting. Oh. Not for my guided hunts. No. No. I just do everything. Through your personal. Through my personal. And um, if you want to get better at goose calling, check out the Goose Tech app. Host of the Goose Tech app. If you want a nice goose call, I have designed one with Pacific Calls. I was totally going to ask you on on that goose call but we got we got too busy messing around check out check out the nick johnson signature series pacific goose call check out the goose tech app and if you want to go on a guided goose hunt in northwestern wisconsin check me out and i tell you what guys i bought a goose calling lesson from nick eight years ago hey and he taught me how to do a quick spit and here we are and here we are buddies we don't see much of each other like we used to back in the day but Nick knows how to teach goose calling and duck calling. And so I am forever grateful for that. And you have taught me so much in the field. The stuff that you like told me and then stuff that I just absorbed like a sponge. So I just, I've learned so much from you. So if you get a guided hunt from Nick, it's not just for people who don't go hunting a whole lot. I have learned so much hunting with Nick. So I would suggest doing a guided goose hunt and just talk his ear off as to why he's doing what. Yeah. Come on out. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, dude. All right. Tomorrow it is. Hey, Nick, one more thing. 